0: Shalom and welcome ladies and gentlemen Welcome to Baruch Beshem Yeshua It's great to be with all of you here today Today's topic Is going to be on something That there is a lot Of debate on And to understand this accurately, we have to understand a variety of things, most notably the Bible itself, what the Bible says, as well as a little bit of Semitic language and historical sources, such as things that we see from the words of Hazel in relation to who exactly Israel is that's very important now what we're going to do is we are going to take a look at Romans 11 and we're going to look at Romans 11 from the uh, New King James Version of the Bible, because I think that is one of the ones that people tend to gravitate towards the most. And we don't want to shut anybody out. So let's start over here on Romans chapter 11. I say then, has God cast away his people? Certainly not. For I am also an Israelite, of the seed of Adon, the tribe of Benjamin. So what we have here in the first verse is a parallel to something that we see in Esther chapter 3, verse 6. Because we have Mordecai, who is said to be a Jew of the tribe of Benjamin. But notice, in Romans, we have Israelite of the seed of Adam, of the tribe of Benjamin. The same parallels here. We see that the two terms, Israelite and Jew, are interchangeable. Verse 2, God has not cast away his people whom he forskew, Or do you not know what the scripture says of Elijah when he pleads with God against Israel, saying, Lord, they have killed your prophets, they have torn down your altars, and I alone am left, and they seek my life. But what does the divine response say to him? I have reserved for myself. 7,000 men who have not bowed their knee to Baal. Even so, then at this present time, there is a remnant according to the election of grace. The election of grace. Very interesting, and this really plays into a lot of this. And if by grace, then it is no longer of works, Otherwise, grace is no longer grace. But if it is our works, it is no longer grace. Otherwise, work is no longer work. What then? Israel has not obtained what it seeks, but the elect have obtained it. And the rest were blinded, just as it is written. God has given them a spirit of stupor, eyes that they should not see and ears that they should not hear to this very day. And David said, let their tables become a snare and a trap, a stumbling block and a recompense to them. Let their eyes be darkened so they do not see. And bow down their back always. I say that. Have they stumbled that they should fall? Certainly not. You know, Paul's kind of doing, God forbid. But through their fall, to provoke them to jealousy, salvation has come to the Gentiles. Now if their fall is riches for the world and their failure riches for the gentile how much more is their fullness for I speak to you Gentiles inasmuch as I am an apostle of the Gentiles I magnify my ministry if by any means I may provoke to jealousy those who are my flesh to save some of them for their being cast away is the reconciling of the world, and their will, the acceptance, be but of life from the dead. For the first fruit is holy. The lump is also holy. The root is holy, so are the branches. This is a very important verse for what it is that we're getting ready to get into because it says the first fruit is holy the lump is also holy the root is holy so are the branches so this right here should throw away any sort of anti-semitism that we see within some of the biblical beliefs claiming that you know the jewish people are just evil and this anti-semitism that we see a lot of in today's day. This verse right here throws all of that aside, but let's continue on to verse 17. And if some of the branches were broken off, and you being a wild olive tree were grafted in among them, and with them became a partaker in the root and fatness of the olive tree, do not boast against the branches, But if you do boast, remember that you do not support the root, but the root supports you. Oh, that's huge right there. And I think this is where modern theology has gone by the wayside and has been causing many to be cut off from the tree itself. Because of the fact that they don't know what it is. They don't go to the root. They don't go to the tree. They say, I'm this independent thing that kind of floats around everywhere. Verse 19 You will say then, branches are broken off that I might be grafted in. Well said. Because of unbelief, they were broken off. And you stand by faith. Do not be haughty, but fear. For God did not spare the natural branches. He may not spare you either. So don't think you're so special. (laughs) Therefore, consider the goodness and severity of God. And those who fell severity but toward you, goodness if you continue in his goodness otherwise you will also be cut off. and they also if they do not continue if they do not continue in unbelief will be grafted in for god is able to graft them in again for if you were cut off of the olive tree which is wild by nature and you are grafted contrary to nature into the cultivated olive tree, how much more will these who are natural branches be grafted into their own olive tree? Verse 25. For do not desire desire, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery, lest should you be wise in your own opinion. That blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentile has come in. And also, and so all Israel will be saved. As it is written, the deliverer will come out of Zion and he will turn away the ungodliness from Jacob. For this is my covenant with when I take away their sins, Verse 26, when he says, and so all of Israel will be saved, is like something that we read in the Talmud, where it says, in Rosh Hashanah 2, all of Israel will have a share in the Olam And it's so interesting, because it goes and talks about those who don't those who read heretical books, those who pronounce the four-letter name of God as it is written, those who uh, practice witchcraft and so on and so forth. It gives a plethora of things. These are all things that will cause this branch to splinter off and to fall into rot and to not be compatible with the tree in which it's attached to. Let us continue on to verse 28. Concerning the gospels, or concerning the gospel, they are enemies for your sake. But concerning the election, they are beloved for the sake of the fathers. For the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. That is key, for the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. Earlier on, in this very same book of the Bible, in this same Egerith from Paul, he says that the oracles of God belong to the Jew and to not get rid of who it is that you are. Verse 30. For as you were once disobedient to God, yet have now attained mercy through their disobedience, even so also, Um, These also have been disobedient. For through the mercy shown you, they will also obtain mercy. For God is committed to them all in disobedience that he might have mercy on all. Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. For who has known the mindset of the Lord? Or who has become his counselor? Or who has first given to him? And it shall be repaid to him. For of him and through him and to him are all things. To whom be glory forever. Amen. There's a lot of things to unpack here. We mentioned earlier. How in the first verse? How it's a parallel with Paul in his own genealogy. How he is of the tribe of Benjamin, just like that of Mordecai in the Book of Esther. And we see that it doesn't say he was an Israelite of the tribe of Benjamin. He says he was a Jew from the tribe of Benjamin. The the. The Mishnah Torah given by the Rambam gives a historical fact that all 12 tribes of Israel are Jewish. And we have to understand this term. The term Jew. Yod, hey. Dalit Yod. You can get several different words out of this. And all of these words that are within here make up what it means to be a Jew. For the final Yod is where we start in the word Yahudi. That Yod, when it's at the end, it always means my. Now, if we go to the beginning, we have the Yod the hay the yod and the hay make up one of the 72 names of God and then within there we have the word hold meaning to be consecrated to so it means my consecration to Hashem my consecration to God Now, this makes sense, and Paul is doing a lot of this in the book of Ephesians when he says, those who are outwardly Jewish and those who were inwardly Jewish, knowing what it is that we know to this point, we see that the word Jew, the word Israelite, are synonymous. Go through your Bible. Do a search at some time. How many times does it say, the Temple of the Israelites and the Temple of the Jews. And it goes back and forth, even with the same authors of each of the books of the Bible. So this is something that's irrefutable, but let's also look at the word Israel. Now. Within the book of Bediations, the book of Genesis, there is this fight between Jacob and this other entity. They fight all night until finally Jacob becomes victorious in this wrestling match, in this fight with this figure. Now many been taught that he was fighting with the Messiah many of you have heard that but first of all why would it be that God was fighting or that the Messiah who is God is fighting with this man and this man becomes victorious well It's interesting because the word Israel is often translated in those verses as one who had fought with God and had won. Now, the term for God that is used within there is the word El. I want to offer you some insight here that maybe in that verse, the word God... Is not accurate. Well, how could you say that? For we call God Elohim, Eloah, El Shaddai. Many of the names for God start with El. So how could you say there's no precedent for you to say that that wasn't God? My translation even says that that was God. Interest. Because that would mean that God's people are individuals who had fought with God. And they were ones who were victorious. I was of this belief, like many of you, for a very long time. And then through my various commentaries that I had gotten from Art Scroll it's interesting because everything becomes clear at that point through these commentaries from Talmud through the way that it is that Ankelos had translated the Hebrew into Aramaic as well as the words of Rashi the Rambam and so on that the L that it's talking about there was actually the Sidra Akra, the other side, or the Satan, the adversary. Now, many of you would say, "Well, but yeah, boy, it's is that term L? That term L is only for God." Oh, contraire! Oh, contraire! For we see that the Messiah has called his own people Elohim. We see also the other side at work whenever the term Ben Elohim or Ben Ha Elohim is mentioned in Genesis 6. We also see that within that of the Torah portion, Mishpatim, that the Sanhedrin are referred to as Elohim. And so it's important to have a good definition of this term El and Elohim, which means Mighty One. It is a mighty one. It is not always a mighty one for good. For Hashem warns, He warns us in the Torah, do not follow after other Elohim. Are they for the good? You could say, well, you know when Yeshua said, oh yeah, flesh and blood human beings, but they were all good. When he said you were all Elohim, but however, he said all correct. Of course he did. Who was among them? Judas scary. So therefore, was Yeshua wrong? Hashvi Shalom. And this story between Jacob and this figure that he's wrestling with makes a lot of sense if we understand that it is his own yetzahara his own inner satan his own evil inclination that is something that he had to wrestle with could be translated i think more accurately one who had wrestled with one of might and one and this would make sense if the term Israel can be used as a substitution for the word Yehudi. Because Israel is also the shortened form of Yashar El. Okay? Now, the two, it's not the same thing, but they are combined in many ways. Yashar in Hebrew means upright. And El, of course, it can also mean God. One who is upright with God. If one is upright with God, They have to have that connection with God. They have to be consecrated unto Hashem. So understanding these things that we have covered here, we can then follow up with who then is Israel? Is it just the Jews? Oh, hush shalom. God forbid. Not just them, but I thought you said the two terms were interchangeable. Well, they are. But also, there are several things that we also have to understand as well. For instance, is a Jew today natural born? No. No. <laughs> No! Why? Because we were taught in the Torah that a person could not marry outside of their own tribe. They couldn't do it. So I am always very skittish when I hear individuals say, oh, I did a DNA test and I'm from the tribe of Dan or I'm from the tribe of Yissachar, I'm from the tribe of Judah, or Levi, or any of these others. Because that would mean that you never knew any of this before, nor the generations beforehand. But somehow you never married or had children at any part of your genealogy. From the time of the exile all the way until now everybody married somehow within their tribe yeah that it, it, that did not ever does not ever happen I'm sorry but what about the Gentiles it says within Romans 11 the fullness of the Gentiles and then being grafted in as grafted in branches to the olive tree. There's precedent for this in Judaism. You have the the Gertoshav who spends a year in the land of Israel. When the doors of Jerusalem are open, once every 50 years, a person can go in. They're obligated to a little bit, usually a little bit more than the laws of B'nai Noah. And it's very interesting that in Acts 15, we have the laws of B'nai Noah right there. The other three that are not listed there are a part of the secular law in the land of Israel, in the book of Acts during that time. So that's very interesting. And so they are obligated to this. This is their starting point. And we see how it is that Peter really resisted this greatly. And then a vision was given to him, showing him to call no man unclean, for we don't know what God is doing in their heart. A majority of Jews today are come from a long line of converts. That's the truth. Don't rely upon that of the characters that you see that many people say, you know, with the shnoz, you know, and the last name and all this other stuff. For a lot of the times, it isn't necessarily the case because as we see with that of the words of Hazel, that if a person advocates against one Torah law, they are cut off from the olive tree. They are no longer considered Yehudi, but they're considered a heathen, a Nohar. But the Gertoshav, however, is a person who is pursuant after God. He is a resident dweller among the people, among the people of God. Then they graduate to a Gersedic, where they take on more and are consecrated unto Hashem, even more. Now the Gersedic, You know, they can be obligated to 12 laws. They could be obligated to 300 laws. There is such a wide gap right there of the Gerasetic, but it all comes down to the leave. It all comes down to the heart. Why is it that they are pursuing God in this way? Is it so that they can consecrate themselves to him? This is what Paul is meaning. Whenever he talks about those who are outwardly Jewish and those who are inwardly Jewish. Because whether or not they possess the title, they are a part of Israel. They are a part of those branches being grafted onto the olive tree. The word Gentile is not necessarily a bad word, as we see from the words of the Apostle Paul. In fact, a vast, a vast bit, about half of the Gentiles mentioned in scripture are good. Such as the Gerteshav, the Gersetic. Both are Gentiles. Both are becoming a part of Israel. They are not obligated to convert in any way, shape, or form. But they are grafting themselves to Hashem. They are inwardly Jewish. They are inwardly Israel. The other two, however, the Goy, just a secularist. The Nohar, he's a heathen. So don't always think that these terms, Gentile, when you read about it in the Bible, is always that of a negative. Because in fact, a Gentile, can be a part of Israel.